Last month, we followed up on the landmark Chef versus O'Neill lawsuits with the lead attorney in the case, Martha Stone. And Counselor Stone gave us a legal update on what's happened since the settlement was announced last year. Now we take a closer look at the human impact of that settlement. And joining me now is Elizabeth Horton Chef. She's the parent who filed this suit on behalf of her 10-year-old son, then 10 years old, uh, Milo, back in 1989. It was filed against the governor of the state at the time, William O'Neill. And Ms. Horton Chef joins me now on Zoom. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Just want to make mention that, well, my family, being the named plaintiff, but there were nine other families. So it was a group. Just want to make it clear that it was more than just us. So 30, 35. Four years ago, I guess now to be exact, it seems in a way such a long time ago, yet the case and the discussion about it is so very today. Uh, could you tell me how you became involved in the suits uh, all those years ago and how those other families came to be involved as well? There was a, a community meeting held by several public interest civil rights law agencies the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, or the National Puerto Rican Defense Fund, Wes Horton, who is the author of the first finance case, Horton versus Mescal, I believe, and other local community legal agencies who came together to do a presentation at Horace Bushnell Church, which is now called Liberty Christian Church on the corner of Albany and Vine. And they talked about what was going on in public education in the city of Hartford. So I wasn't originally on the invite list. I was then the vice president of the Westbrook Village Tennis Association. And the president was asked to attend, but because she had a child in choice, Project Concern, they called it then, she was afraid of political ramifications. So she asked me to attend in her stead and um, take notes. So I've been taking notes for like 33 <laughs> years now. <laughs> but um, at that meeting, there was one statistic that really resonated with me that in 1989, 79% of the children in Harford's eighth grade needed assistance with remedial reading. So let's just, you know, shred that out a little bit. It's saying that 79% of the students in eighth grade of Harford could not read to grade level. Now, if you're in the eighth grade and you cannot read at grade level, what are your prospects. So that to me was not the children failing. To me, that said the system was failing that percentage of children. So I went back home and I talked to Milo. You have to kind of get a little background on Milo. Milo was, and still is, the son of a civil rights activist. So he was used to marches on Washington and candlelight vigils for persons living with HIV AIDS and um, discussing the environment and food. And But I did ask him if he wanted to attend the next meeting. He did. 
And then I asked him, did he want to sign up to be a plaintiff? So the public interest law agencies had people sign up to be plaintiffs. We signed up. They, they chose 10 families. There was another round of interviews, and then they requested that Milo and me serve as the named plaintiffs. People seemed to think that there was some egregious thing that happened to my child in particular that made me, what, sue the state? No, I just didn't get up one morning and say, oh, I have nothing to do today. Let's sue the state. But to me, that, that one statistic hurt me and resonated with me. And that's how I got into it, not from my child, but from our children. Did you anticipate at all that some 34 years later, this would still be on the front burner, so to speak, a, a main topic of discussion? Uh, no. And and if you ask Milo, he would say he thought it would be like a Judge Judy episode, like 30 minutes done, right? <laughs> I knew it was going to take some time uh, because everything in the struggle takes time. Reaching and achieving justice takes time, but I wasn't at all aware that we would be where we are today. We've done a lot. There's so much more to be done. So to directly answer your question, no, I thought we, we would be in a different place right now. When we spoke to Attorney Stone recently, she told us that there's still work to do to ensure that the settlement is put into action. There's a 10-year permanent injunction that's currently underway that has to meet uh, certain benchmarks. Mm -hmm. uh, here's Councilor Stone uh, explaining how that will work. The 10-year clock began to run the day that the judge approved the settlement agreement. What happens now is, is that we have to monitor, is the state meeting the demand? And there are different benchmarks set forth in the permanent injunction which the state needs to meet. The first benchmark is that the state by 2526 must meet entry grade demand for Hartford students for choice schools. That means that any Hartford student that wants a uh, either an integrated magnet school or an open choice program must be given that opportunity for the entry grades. And the entry grades are defined as pre-K, K, sixth grade and ninth grade. And then there's another benchmark later on that the state has to meet to get non-entry grade demand fulfilled. That uh, was attorney Martha Stone speaking there. She was the lead attorney or lead attorney in the case. Was this kind of settlement, was this something similar to what you had in mind back in 1989? Well, the settlement, in my opinion, this is my opinion, was a compromise in moving the big boulder somewhere, right? A little bit. I firmly believe that until we have a regional education system and not all of these little districts, all of, well, what we have, 128 fiefdoms, right? Until we have a regional school system, uh, many of the issues, not only just racial diversity, but funding and transportation and supplies and all of those things that are needed to actually provide our children with their constitutional right, right? Because Connecticut 
is one of the few states in the nation that has in its constitution the right to education. So until we address it on a regional level, we'll still be struggling with funding and politics. And politics should not be a factor in providing our children with the education that they need to grow up to be their full selves. Are you a part of the effort to make sure that some of these states' uh, benchmarks are met? Yes, I, you know, I, I still attend. <laughs> I still attend. I've always attended negotiations throughout the 33 years. I am involved in, through my attorneys now, and now that I'm a free bird and no longer tied to a, <laughs> a uh, full-time job, I'll be able to do more of that to help with monitoring the permanent injunction. As we've talked about, there's still there's still things to do in the wake of the settlement of, of the lawsuit. But if we think about at least the filing in the past 30 years um, in terms of a legacy, do you think the suit helped improve equal access to a quality education, as you pointed out, so guaranteed by the Connecticut Constitution? for your son Milo and, and other kids in his school district? Well, again, I didn't do this for Milo. By the time we got to the drawing board, Milo was out, right? So did, again, did not do it for my son, I did it for our children. The fact that uh, we are still working on quality integrated education is still necessary. We have to um, provide our children with the education, as I said, to become their full selves and to be able to contribute to, to one another in the workplace, in life in general. So uh, there's there's things to do, but we've done a lot. I mean, all the magnet schools that you see, the push to include um, more open choice venues, all of those things point to the fact that quality integrated education is wanted and need it. So when I look going forward, as I said, in many cases, I have a lot of anecdotal evidence about what went well with this particular child. We're looking forward now to getting more empirical data and getting some stories out there that can show the advantages of quality integrated education. There have been several settlements over the years. But mm -hmm. this most recent settlement is is different. You say it's more significant. And why is that? Well, uh, it's most significant in the fact that it contains the permanent injunction that Martha spoke about, which means that if the state does not meet the benchmark of the agreement, that we can return to court without filing another lawsuit. So we can just reopen CHEF versus O'Neill. Um, it is also significant in the fact that of accountability. We Parents need to know what schools have, what openings, what is the uh, statistics on achievement. So all of those things are now, now in play and it's only been a year. So we're still working on it, um, but, you know, I've already done 33. What's 33 more? <laughs> oh, 
I'm wondering, what kind of an impact has the lawsuits in the aftermath, the past 34 years, what kind of an impact has that had on, on your life and your family? Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's been a journey. It's, it's been a journey because, um, you know, I mean, it, it, this work has brought me to many spaces, some friendly, some hostile. You know, it, it's it's been a little bit of a struggle and it's had some negative impacts on our personal lives. But would I do it again? Yes, I would do it again. We're speaking on uh, Monday, the 21st of August, and you're about to embark up on a new on a new position. The alumni specialist with Goodwin University Magnet School System in East Hartford. Could you tell us about the work that you'll be doing there and how you see this connected with what's been uh, happening again in the wake of uh, the lawsuit, Chef versus O'Neill? Yes, I'm embarking on my fifth life. <laughs> as I call it, it's my fifth life as the alumni specialist for the uh, Goodwin University Magnet School System. And we're looking at this as a avenue to help folks understand the importance of quality integrated education, how one's life trajectory can be changed through being in an environment, an educational environment that promotes and accepts diversity. So I will be working with the Goodwin University Magnet School System to, um, to start gathering those stories. We all know what they're doing when they're in school. We wanna know what happens after was their life trajectory changed for the better can we have documented stories and that's what we'll be pursuing documented stories of life after being in the chef district and being in a chef school so this all ties in to the fact that those videos those stories will be used to market to actually market the system to support demand, because it's one of the things that um, in the last settlement that the state has agreed to meet demand. And so any child that's out there, any family that's looking for a different kind of education, we'll be marketing stories to them. I'm excited. I mean, I actually get to be in the schools and talk to the students and talk to the parents and talk to faculty and, you know, do social media presentations on that. And I, I am also launching my own podcast in the fall that will be supported by a robust media presence. So I'm excited. I mean, I, this is a blessing. It's just a pure blessing said uh, you're a free bird now, but it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate and are going to be very busy in the coming yeah. months and years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm used to being busy. You know, I mean, I'm used to being busy. So I, I get bored easily. So this is something that I wanted to do for a very long time. That is engage in what's going on uh, in the results of Chef versus O'Neill. And now I get to do that. So. I wanted to get your opinion, too, on on uh, 
what happened back in June. The U.S. Supreme Court ended affirmative action, essentially, in college admissions. Mm-hmm. Will this decision impact in any way the work that you'll be doing uh, through the Goodwin Magnet system um, as far as keeping track of uh, the children that go through the system and, and, and where they're headed afterwards and that's where a very they'll good, be welcomed? That's a very good avenue to think about. That's a very good avenue to think about. Affirmative action, people have their opinions about affirmative action, and I know that, but for affirmative action, a whole lot of people sitting in high places who are now saying affirmative action is bad wouldn't be sitting in those places. So let's get that straight first. And working through my own podcast, I do anticipate having discussions in the future about affirmative action, whether it directly relates to Chef versus O'Neill is yet to be seen. How we handle it at Goodwin um, is also on the table. I've been talking with Elizabeth Horton Chef, whose name is connected most publicly, I guess you would say, with the 1989 landmark lawsuit Chef versus O'Neill settlement reached after many years last year. But the focus of the case really is not over. As we've discussed, there's a lot yet to come. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today and really discussing the human impact of the case and the years that have followed. Thank you as well. I look forward to uh, continued dialogue.